I write this note to say why I'm not at work today. Whilst working on the 14th floor, some bricks I had to clear, but tossing them down from such a height was not a good idea. The foreman wasn't very pleased. He's an awkward sod. And he said I had to cart them down the ladders in me hod. Now, clearing all these bricks by hand, it was so very slow. So I hoisted up a barrel and secured a rope below. But in my haste to do the job, I was too blind to see that a barrel full of building bricks was heavier than me. So when I untied the rope, the barrel fell like lead. And clinging tightly to the rope, I started up instead. I shot up like a rocket, and to my dismay, I found that halfway up, I met the bloody barrel coming down. <laughs> I love that. That works. Totally that yeah. works. Thanks so much, Charlie, for opening up the show that way. So glad to my have pleasure. you on the show, honestly. And uh, so, yeah, what time is it there now? You guys are five or six hours ahead. Yeah, it's 3 p.m. here. Okay, 3 p.m., yeah. So it's 10 a.m. our time. We're in Toronto. You're in Edinburgh. You're in Scotland. So it's actually, I think, our first Scottish I think it's the first Scottish show. I'm trying to remember. It's been so many shows. So, and then it's really, it's funny. I've got another Scotsman, Stuart Wilson, who's from Altera, bigger uh, construction company here in Toronto, and he's going to oh, be yeah. on the he's going to be on the show. And uh, what's going on here? Patrick's doing, saying something. He's chatting. <laughs> Sorry. He's. I'm uh, uh, Patrick. Okay. He's interrupting. The spectators interrupting us. Is the AI okay? Well, we'll leave Patrick do his thing, but uh, I I, I want to welcome you to the construction life. I'm so glad that you. I, I'm trying to remember who reached out to us. I think it was it was Patrick who, like I said, he does our PR. Oh, okay, side yeah, stuff. that's right, it's Patrick. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm trying to get rid of Patrick and then now we're bringing him back into the conversation. <laughs> so so we've got Charlie here from Edinburgh Construction. Uh, you're all over Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and how's uh, the website is www.edinburghconstruction.com. And uh, what's the email you want me to share? You want me to share uh, your email or hello at edinburghconstruction.com? Yeah, hello, edinburghconstruction.com. That's the best that goes through to the team. Perfect, to get to the team, right? And then I'd, I'd love to share this phone number if you want me to share your phone number as well. Go for it, please uh, do. Zero one three one two zero two zero 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 eight. I want to give a quick shout-out to Robin and Sons there. I've got his tea. I've, I've said it several times that I enjoy this tea because it actually fits me really well. Some people have been giving me some teas lately that have been a little small. Uh, they don't realize that I'm an XL. Uh, I'm a slightly bigger boy. I'm not a tiny little guy. So it's just uh, I can't put on the large. Uh, I can put on the extra large. So this one feels great. Thank you very much, boys, for sending me this tea, and I enjoy it. And, Charlie, I'd love to start this show to talk about your team because I know you guys are huge about the team. And uh, we'll get into, there's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about regarding construction over there compared to here. But I'd love for you to start off with your team and and who you put on the roster, I guess, and, and what makes everything run. Sure. Uh, like you said, it's very important to us and we wouldn't be who we are without the the good guys and girls behind it. Um, so we're, we're about 40 employees now in the team and we're, we're growing again this year um we've got a good number of projects just just kicking off uh, so we're in recruitment mode in fact i think we're always in recruitment mode uh, to be honest um but yeah we employ a lot of trades which is less common over this side of the pond uh, where you know where we are most of the construction companies tend to be more what we would call construction management companies so an office and they just get subcontractors or agency labor in to do the work. We like to employ people. We like to take on apprentices. We like to train people up. We like to put people through internships, all that fun stuff. 
Um, so yeah, teams teams highly important, and we're growing. Yeah, we're, we're growing fast, so we're all about recruitment right now. Did you start it, Charlie? Like, how long ago did you guys start the business? Business. So we incorporated five and a half years ago. The business was running for a couple of years before that. Uh, just me and a couple of guys in a van, uh, carpenter to trade, and that's where it all started. Um, yeah, and it's just grown like wildfire since then. To be honest with you, um, what do you what do you think the secret sauce is, Charlie? Like, I mean, you're a young guy getting into the business, and it's not really. I don't see that many young people getting as far as you guys have gotten in such a short amount of time. I mean, the work is impeccable. I'm going to get into the work, and uh, but I'm really impressed, and I've got a lot of respect for what you've pulled off in such a short period of time. That's not the norm. So what sets you apart from that? I mean, if I knew what the secret sauce was, you know, <laughs> I'd love it because if you could bottle that, you'd be a, you'd be a billionaire. Um, I mean, for me, it made sense to start the business when I was young, it was quite a deliberate choice. I mean, I, I've been working in construction for for a while since since I got since I left school, and um, I've been fortunate enough to work under some good bosses. Some of them were business owners themselves. And a piece of advice that I was given is, if if you're going to do it, do it when you're young. I think your your risk appetite's a little bit more ambitious when you're younger. You you'll get away with things in your twenties and thirties that you probably wouldn't touch in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, and I did think as well that if it all goes wrong, I'd be young enough to brush off the dust and pick myself up and, and keep on going. So it was a conscious decision to, to jump in young. I had a fantastic job before I started the business, to be honest. So I, I didn't really have any need to do it, but it was always on my radar. You know, I was, I guess, a terrible employee in the sense that I always thought there was better ways of doing things and in hindsight, I'd say I was quite arrogant in that sense. And I always thought, well, if I was steering this ship, I'd do this, this, and this. And then I thought, well, let's let's see what you're all about, Charlie, and, and put it to the test. And in terms of what's behind our growth, I think just as I'm sure you're used to and, and many of your other guests are used to, just a lot of hours, you know, it's a lot of hours pushing away, chipping away day by day, moving the needle. There's no magic bullet, I think, in this game. I think it really just comes down to how much you're willing to put in and uh yeah i think there's no secrets to success or no get there fast scheme it's just about putting in the graph putting in the hours and a bit of luck on your side as well helps sometimes i agree i i mean i i know that a lot of younger trades on this side they're they, they they're hungrier to get to the finish line sooner they want to get to the objectives faster and i think that there's value in taking your time and learning certain fail failures i mean for lack of a better word i mean there's definitely going to be some hardships uh so i think you got to embrace those i don't think everything's going to be perfect um as you probably are well aware of it um with 40 employees and you guys are still growing right now what's that one component that you ask of every employee that is considering working with you guys what are you guys absolutely looking for without even asking them there's a few things i mean you got to be passionate about what you do you know this isn't a place for idlers you know you've got to really into the game, really into the sector, be really passionate about delivering good quality work. You've got to know your stuff, you know, um, even if you've got all the ambition and drive, if you can't do the job to our level, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's never going to work out. And um, thirdly, we, we like people that we get on with, if, if that. No, makes that makes sense. a lot of sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, if, if you come in and you muck people around or you rub people up the wrong way, it's just never going to get off the starting block. You need to be a people person. You need to be able to communicate well. You need to be able to liaise with clients, liaise with stakeholders, work well in a team, um, you know, integrate vertically, you know. So we, we, we don't really lean on a hierarchical structure where people tell other people what to do. It's much more of a collaborative environment. And, uh, you know, that's not for everybody. And we're not precious about that. You know, we can have some fantastic people come in and, and get involved in what we're doing, but it might not be the right fit for them. And there might be something that's far better suited to them. So, you know, but that, that's sort of the, where it all starts for us is, can you do the job well? Um, and can you, can you fit in well with the team? You're a you know, people's person and then also committed to the sector, committed to delivering a, a good job and, being a value add to our industry. What's the stereotype in as like a, tra- a tradesperson in Scotland? What is the stereotype? Is it still blue collar, boots on the ground? Is it is the is the career is the occupation is it valued or has it has it progressed in a positive way? Or are we? I mean, I, I bring this up because that's we have the same pitfalls here, right? Everyone looks yep. at tradespeople here a certain way. We're we're put into a certain box. Is it similar there? Definitely. Uh, I've, I've talked about this before with some other people because I've, I've worked in different parts of the globe and there's, there's some places in the world where being a tradesperson is cool. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's respected. You know, I've worked like, for example, Australia and New Zealand are two places that come to mind where tradespeople, it, it's cool to be a chippy, you know, it's cool yeah. to be a spark. Yeah. Uh, people look up to that, you know, um, I, I don't know too much about where you are, but in, in the UK, it, it couldn't be further from it. You know, the stereotype is you couldn't hack it at school. You weren't smart enough for university. And, you know, the, the only thing available to you was going down the polytech and getting an apprenticeship with whoever would take you. Um, and I, I, th- I think that uh, it, it's such a shame because, you know, the, the technical aptitude required to succeed in the construction sector is vast. You know, you, you really need to be a, sh- a sharp tool, you know, no, no pun intended. And, and the stereotype of we're all just, you know, happy-go-lucky chaps that just fell into it, I think is, is a real shame. And yeah. it's, it's, you know, I, I don't know if it's the same where no, you are. You, but you, that- you're, you're, you're literally, you could be a Canadian, you could be an American, and you'd be sharing the exact same words. That's exactly the mindset. And, and you're totally right about Australia. And, and I totally respect a lot of the tradespeople in Australia and New Zealand there because they do have a different, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what they do differently. I guess that maybe they just present themselves a, a slightly different way, or maybe they're getting more governmental support because I don't feel probably like you guys, you guys don't get that the government kind of incentives come at your level you might get it at the higher rise or the bigger union-based companies and that kind of thing but we don't get it and in all small like realistically your business is a small business but it's a big business right so i don't think that it gets the same value that other larger corporations get and i'm probably you're probably working on trying to get that value or at least present it because it's um, the work is there. And that means the employees are there, but it's just like the mindset's not there from outside of the industry. And that's a shame because if you got rid of the industry and you got rid of tradespeople in any country, you don't have a country. It doesn't move okay. forward. That's just a fact, right? So it's just, I, I would love to see more respect. I mean, a dirty 
collar or dirty pant or dirty boot or whatever doesn't mean that you're less than anybody else. That's just my mindset, right? Um, and I agree with you. Totally 100% agree with you. And I'd love to um, kind of start the show not necessarily upsetting the North American listeners, but I've got a huge respect for you guys and I've got a huge respect for building that's going on in Europe and Australia because I think there's a clear distinction between the two groups. I think here in North America, and you guys can take notes and hate, run your hate mail, on. I don't care about that. I think in North America, we have a mindset of building grand and building for people that are stuck in boxes. You guys mm -hmm. over there have a mindset of building and respecting the land that you're building on and incorporating the box with the land. You know what I mean mm -hmm. by that? Like you guys will look at ways of building and look at efficiency and new technology, incorporating old and bringing it to new and respecting all elements that are attached to a structure. Here in North America... It's what am I feeling like inside my box and what can I share that's social media driven grandeur? You know what I mean? And I think you're missing opportunity other than just a polished looking image. I like when I look at your images and I look at other people that we've interviewed outside of North America, I from construction see those details. I pay attention to what you guys are doing that most clients and most people in North America don't really look at. Do you know what I mean by all that? I do. Yeah, I do. And it's, it's an excellent observation. I mean, one of the glaring things that, that I think drives that is, well, speaking about the UK, but the same principles in a way applies to wider Europe. We're a small piece of land with a lot of people on it. It's very dense. And on top of that, uh, our history of developing towns and cities is much longer than in North America. You know, we, we've got Gothic, medieval, you know, even further back into history, towns and cities that a lot of our sites, you're working on a site that's previously been developed or there's an existing building that you need to be mindful of. There's design constraints. Whereas in North America, there's still vast plains of land that is being developed, you know, as a, as a blank canvas that, that we don't have so much, both in the UK and also in wider Europe. So I think when you're approaching a construction project, there's a lot more thought into, okay, what's been in here in the past? What is the built environment landscape that we need to dovetail into? Uh, what are the neighborhoods requirements, etc.? I mean, that the planning process is vast here. And I think that is just a symptom of where a lot of people in a small space, there's not vast amounts of land floating around. We need to be very mindful of, design application and sympathy for what was there before we came along with our our ideas which is difficult you know and you've got uh you know listed buildings and conservation areas and areas of natural beauty and you know unesco world heritage sites and we were speaking about australia before not not to not to be critical but i remember um visiting some friends in sydney and there's some bridge that was built in the 60s that was now a protected building you know, it's like back in the UK, that would be, you know, like some sort of, you know, know. Is like modern construction. So, you know, you, when you're working with towns and cities that are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years old, uh, you know, you need to really get into the micro level of the design 
and thinking, how can we do this in a sympathetic way? Uh, and the constraints as well, you've awkward sized plots, you know, that you need to work on. And, you know, they, they're not just nice square boxes. You might have obtuse angles and irregular shapes that you need to think, how can we maximize the efficiency and the value of this plot? I love that you brought that up because I, I agree with you 100%. It's really about respecting the past. And that I'm sure that um, when you guys start a project, whether it, it begins on the paper stage, you guys are very respectful of the past, who came before you and, and what was built before on this area, whether you're remodeling an existing structure or you're actually building something new that was on some or next to something that's existing. You guys are extremely uh, respectful of the person that had a hand working on this project. And now you're taking it over and you're bringing it to modern times. And so that's not necessarily the case here in North America. Like you said, there's lots of land there here. So all of a sudden we just start from a hole in the ground and then we go up from there. But there's not that history. So we have to be aware of all that stuff. And does that go through the whole team? Like, does the team understand that, that centuries ago, this is how it was built. This is the mindset that, you know, you had tradespeople looking at certain things. Now you guys are being respectful of that person, what they did. And now I'm going to contribute to it. I'm not going to demolish it and just get rid of it. I'm going to contribute to that. It's, it varies. Um, it, you know, there, there's, there's a balance, I think, in terms of what's sensible because the planning policies here try and work across a vast amount of sites, locations, demographics, that it's difficult to apply one rule to all areas. One size doesn't fit all. So, so unfortunately, where we, we do have planning policies in place to protect beautiful buildings, areas of natural beauty, you know, all these things, sometimes, arguably oftentimes, those rules fall into spaces where it just doesn't apply. So it's, it's, it's a love-hate thing. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it works really poorly. You know, you can, um, sometimes you have to work within constraints that is on a legislative level imposed on you and you do think, what the hell, you know, it's, 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 it's a balancing act. So I think people respect it when it works well, but it can also be a tide working against you, you know, particularly now in today's age where you're trying to juggle, you know, increased population density, uh, sustainability targets, and, you know, designing low-carbon homes. There's some clashes of interests. Um, and inevitable. also just being progressive. You yeah, know? It's, yeah it's, it's inevitable that's going to happen. I mean, yeah. it makes me think about how how is the planning and, and permit process when you start getting the city involved and how you're updating building envelope and you're paying attention to how structures need to be built today and new rules that they're setting in place. How are those challenges for you? I'm not going to lie. It's probably our biggest challenge as, as a sector right now. Um, the, there's, there's a lot of good intention, uh, but there's a lot of problem with, particularly in governments and local authorities, the left hand not speaking to the right hand. So is it persuasive in, good intention? Yeah, it, it's, it's good intention in the sense that you've got lots of individual bodies all entering with the right intentions, but the, the worlds don't overlay neatly. So, you know, you've got on the one hand, historic environmental Scotland saying, right, we want to protect X, Y, Z. Then on the other hand, you've got building control saying, well, X, Y, Z, 
isn't with our you know net carbon sustainability plan so you can't deliver that and it's there's just lots of dissonance between different local authority departments who di dictate the planning policy unfortunately the net result of that is just a very slow process and that's probably the the, the most frustrating part I'm, I, i'm sure it's the same where you are but we're suffering from a lack of new housing being constructed we're incredibly behind in our housing targets and the biggest bottleneck is planning and consent approvals and you can have stuff going round and round and round being argued the minutiae of this that and the other where sometimes you need to think look this isn't a perfect world we've got different parameters that we need to satisfy what can we do to get this moving uh, because sometimes i think it falls into the place of just being impractical in its thought and approach so definitely people in it for the right reasons but the unity of these local authority and governmental departments just simply isn't there and also low authorities are under resource in terms of their administration power to look at applications look at approvals chair committees and all the rest of it and it's slow man it's really slow you know we've we've got sites that anybody would say oh, it's a no-brainer just you know and, and they're locked up for two three years in planning before they even get to committee and at the same time the government's uh, shying away from previous government's housing target policies it's it's, it's a real shame So is it like us where I, I've always had a problem with the government and the organizations that handle our approvals where there's a blanket. So based on whatever parameters have been set forth on on that government and whatever the trend is at that particular term, you know, like this is how we're going to implement it into the building techniques. Right. So all of a sudden you get this blanket of of restrictions that have to yeah. be put onto your structure. So now you've, it's on, it's now on you as the business owner, the builder to start figuring out how to answer all these questions. And the problem is that you start creating this delay when I think that there should be more done on the part of the city and the government and the building department to work with us instead yeah. of actually work against us. And for them to always go, okay, well, we understand what you're saying. Um, but according to this, you have to do it this way. I go, that's not really answering my question. My question is, can you work with us on trying to figure out how we're going to build this one structure, which is being built for the very first time, and can I bring other players into the mix that are going to tell you things that are contradictory to what you guys have actually put in through legislation? So mm -hmm. that's not working with us. That's working against us. And now, all of a sudden, we can't get a structure. We know as builders, we can get the structure out of there, out of the gate, finished, ready for an occupant, at this time and now the mm -hmm. only thing that's stopping us is the people that don't know anything about construction yeah. so yeah. in my opinion get rid of the people that don't know anything about construction replace them with people that know about construction and how about we work together on solving the problem and then all of a sudden timelines will be met am i taking crazy pills at this point that's the thing i'm thinking is that that makes sense but you never get construction people going into politics and you never get politicians getting into construction so that's the yeah. biggest hurdle at the very beginning you're not putting the right voices in the right spots we're trying yeah. to work with you it's not that we're trying to work against you we're trying to work with you we we're 
it's better for us to finish a project. It makes more sense for us to get to the end because we want to give it to an occupant and then we can move on to the next challenge and the next project. But if you keep on tying our hands and not allowing us to do that, we get frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so then now we start getting penalized and then there's a whole other world from there. So ah, the show gets political sometimes, but I mean, that's just how it is. It's construction. It's just how we're going to be. But I'd, I'd love to get, um, I, I saw a lot of your work and I total amount of respect for having no shaker panel kitchens. Shaker panel kitchens are a big thing in North America. And I don't know if you've heard the show, but a lot of people know that I can't stand shaker panel kitchens and lots of color, lots of beautiful finishings, lots of, I just feel that North America is almost like a uh, Robinson Crusoe Island stuck in its ways of this is the only material we're allowed to use. And I don't want to see what the rest of the world looks like versus you guys in the rest of the world. You guys look at the rest of the world as if what's coming down the pipe. What's new? What's interesting? What new material? Sustainability or efficiency or all kinds of stuff. I wish that some of that would just kind of seep into here. Like I would love to see people try more things. And I get it. Here in North America, it's all about the for sale sign. Is it the same way over there? I don't think it's all about the for sale sign over there. Uh, I, I recognize what you're saying. I think it is somewhat about the for sale sign, but maybe that manifests in a different way for example, like we are incredibly commercially driven. I mean, the properties have to sell. Then somebody needs to want them. However, I think that the, you know, commercialism is driven by the market, right? And it's what people will will want. And I think here in the UK, people do want what's cool, what's new, what's attractive, what what their neighbours don't have. You know, what's a little bit edgy. You know, we've we're, we're we've got big design centres in Europe, like London. And Paris, and you know, you've got all, and you know, the some areas in the in the Scandinavian countries which are very innovative and are coming out with new products, and people want that over here. People want the next next thing, and it's it's a balance because you know, if if you're building out a development that's for the open market, you don't want something that's too wacky and nobody's going to like it, you know, because you know, it's it's got to be tasteful or it's yeah. got to be enough of a canvas that someone can make their own mark. But I think over here. Um, the market is looking for something a bit different. You know, we like innovation different, and um, and that does get a better for sale price. Hey guys, we're back, and I'm going to show you a few more features on the Connect Team app. Um, let's get right into it. Start by scheduling a job, and we're going to clock in as well. So over to the screen, we go to the home page, and you go down to job scheduling. And you're going to access schedule. Today is Wednesday. We're going to add a shift. So now there's templates. There's details. We can choose one. So here's the work site. We're adding a title if we want to. We're going to let the user know who's it for. We're setting the time. What we think this shift's going to take. And now we're going to put some details if we need to put some details. Our location is obviously, we'll change it to Toronto. Ontario, Canada, there we go. We enable the user so they can use it. They can claim it, and now we're gonna publish it. Boom, there it is, it's on the schedule now. My admin can go to time clock, and here we are. Time clock, access. So now I'm on the app on my mobile, and I'm gonna to go to job scheduling. I'm going to accept this shift, and I'm accepting it and open time clock and I start. And there you go. 
Manny at the office, who scheduled the shift, is speaking to Manny on the job site on his phone, who's started the shift. And now I know exactly where I am. Then I see that I'm working away. And now I'm going to actually clock out. So I'm clocking out, ending the shift, and it automatically updates. There we go. I ended the shift. I know exactly what time I started. I know exactly what time I ended. That kind of gives you guys a little bit more into Connect Team app. And for more information, you can check them out at www.connectteam.com. And also check them out on IG at Connect Team app. Also remember, try out their 14-day free trial uh, for companies, 10 employees or less. I agree with you. And and am I wrong to say that for some weird reason, okay, I'm a Mason guy. Like my dad was a Mason, so I've always had a fondness for stone, right? You guys use a lot of stone. Am I not talking sense when I say that stone somehow gives you this warmth feeling when you enter a structure and you see elements of stone? Like, does it not, doesn't it like feel warm and inviting and feel like a home to me? Like it does. And, And North America we maybe get lucky, see a fireplace and that's it over there. You guys are using entire walls. Like you're using, you're almost bringing the outside in and, and, and you're using a specific kind of stone that it's just like, it's been in the ground for so long and, and you rip it apart and you bring it in and now you get this beautiful Mason do this work with it. And it just looks amazing. It looks so pleasing to the eye and it just feels so emotional. I'd love to see more of that. You guys are using, I'm not talking about wackiness and crazy and and extreme colors and and just going ballistic that way. I think there's a nice balance, but I think if you start paying attention to woods and stones and different types of finishing and plaster techniques, and I mean, this is Scotland. You guys started all this plaster work and everything like that. It's just amazing how it's all, and there's only a handful of people here that can do it. And I mean, why can't we do more of that stuff in here? Why can't we have irregular, slight textured wall surfaces? Why does it have to be butt joints of drywall over and over. And I, I, I don't like, I know I, I think people are missing opportunities of square footage space and not really using what's on the easel. You know what I mean? Like they're not paying attention to what's available in the building mm-hmm. sense of things. That's what I'm missing. And I'd love to see more of it. I've always butted heads here because I'm always being told that no nah, people, clients don't want that. But then it's really funny. Like you guys are on house and a lot of people are on house and Pinterest. Everybody looks at it but they don't want it in their home. That makes no sense to me. If we look at it and we appreciate it and we travel and we see other people and what they've done in other structures in other countries, why can't we take that and bring it? I do it all the time. I constantly do it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I was looking at your page and your work and I was making mental notes. I was like, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So it's like, and I know more tradespeople do that as well. So, I mean, I just, I was curious about all that stuff because it's just, it seems like you guys, have you found the right clients that appreciate that or is it like you guys are kind of educating the clients that this is where we should go a, a bit of both i mean i'm sure lots of people will in the trade will appreciate that finding the right clients is critical to a project you know it's it's working with the people that share your vision and whatnot i think another element of it is is what you're describing is our heritage here and it sort of stems back to our discussions on planning policy and the built environment and how you know we we are mandated to construct using certain materials and methodologies that are in keeping with the surrounding context. So, you know, if, if, if you're building the city of Edinburgh, where we are, uh, you know, in, in the old town or, you know, where you've, you know, got 
rubble sandstone and you know you kind of you know scottish slight roofs and all this you can't just go whack a white render box in the middle of that you know it, the, the council just won't let you get away no, with it not, yeah. and and we've, we've also got i guess a heritage of tradespeople that understand these trades and understand how to do it you know it's they've been they're generational subcontractors and they didn't just read out the book you know we've we've got stonemasons who you know they learn you know down a linear chain of generations of stonemasons and still understand traditional techniques which you can't learn from a textbook uh, you know and, and, and you, you'll understand as a mason there's so many nuances in working with stone and doing it correctly and doing it incorrectly and you can destroy pieces of stone by you know using the wrong you know motors or renders or materials it can ruin it uh, and i think there's a bit more of an appreciation for that here uh, and also i think one one thing that we pride ourselves with as a company that maybe sets us a little bit apart is i'm, I'm a believer in giving a certain level of autonomy to our tradespeople. so it's, it's not just like there's 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 the specifications there's the drawings follow it to the letter or else but here's here's the drawings this is our guideline uh, this is our parameters but you know what we we've got highly skilled, skilled tradespeople that will have some design contribution to bring through their experiences and I, we're all about celebrating that so if we've got a stonemason a joiner a carpenter or whatever trade it might be that says you know i've i've done this before i've done that before and it worked really well and i think it would work well here we we like to support that and we'll go to our clients and say look I know we're not specified here, but we think this would be a good value add. We think this would, would contribute for, for such and such reasons, and we'd like to do it. Uh, that That's often well-respected and, and well-received. And I think, and again, in today's age where a lot of you know architecture over the past 10, 20 years has been about the white boxes, the steel frames, glass, you know, exterior envelopes, you know, modern cladding, People like a bit of that organic touch, you know the, you know the, the stone, the timber, you know it's different different materials. As you said, it they're warm and, and people, you know it's like um, an old, old you know like dead simple terms like if you've got a kitchen with a nice slab of hardwood as a worktop, whoever walks into that kitchen, the first thing they're going to do is walk over it and run their hand over it, no matter who you are. Hundred uh, percent. That's that's yeah. not the same if it's you know if it's a composite stone or if it's you know a chipboard you know with veneer on it. It's you know they'll do with the, you, you know what they'll do with the stone the composite stone. They'll just take a picture. Yeah, there that's, you go. That's yeah, the difference. The difference is that if we build with our hearts and our passion and we're using materials that are more earthly, you'll want to touch. And then if you're yeah. using more of this manufactured sense of material, you'll want to photograph. And I'm like, yeah. that's the basic difference between construction. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. me personally, I always want to touch when I'm going to a supplier and I want to see, or I go to a trade show and I want to see what's new. I will touch it and I will judge my opinion on it by the touch and what I experience from it. I don't care yeah. about the photograph. I'm sorry. I don't, I'll care about the photograph later on, but for me yeah. to understand it and implement it and convince a client or work with tradespeople on it, we all have to be yeah. touching. That's it. It's just like, I think it makes a lot of sense. I love that you brought that up. Um, I look at your team and I just get the sense that your team, 
Yeah, there's some dirt on their uniforms. You know what I mean? Their workwear. I get it because they're working. Not every job task or whatever is pristine clean, but I get a sense that they have a, a, a sense of pride by putting on that workwear and doing the job. Is that the case amongst the team, the tradies and everybody? Yeah, I, I think I'd be a hard push to single out someone on our team that doesn't care about their job. Uh, you know, they might not say it in such such a way, but, you know, it's demonstrated in their work and the output. And, you know, that's, I, I think anybody has that capacity and it's all about the environment, right? You know, if, if you could take one tradesperson and chuck them on a 250 unit new build site, producing a bunch of cardboard boxes that are all identical and they're going to hate their day. Yeah. Put that same tradesperson, you know, on a, bespoke build or you know one-off build or just a nicely designed build they won't help themselves but sort of get caught up in the in the, in the pride and, and of what they're doing and again it sort of stems back we do like to give a bit of autonomy obviously things need to be done within specifications safely following building code etc but you know giving giving a trace person the ability to make a piece of work have their signature in there somewhere um brings out pride you know they'll, they'll go home they'll, they'll they'll talk to their family about what they did today oh, i did this or they'll take pictures themselves and yeah. you know show show off what they've done and uh, that, that warms my heart is when you know we we, we we i don't know if 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 you see it in your line of work but uh, we see it where a lot of our guys get in a very friendly way competitive with one another yep. you know like yep. check out the mitre that i put on this or check out the scribe that you know i ran today or you know, and that, that warms my heart because uh, you, you can't not be proud of your work if you're exemplifying those those types of characteristics. And uh, sure, yeah, we're a bit muddy and, you know, we're a bit gruff. I mean, at the end of the day, we're builders. Yep. Uh, you know, it's uh, you can't shy away from that. But look, the, the proof of the puddings in the eating, Listen, the product speaks for itself. There's, there's eight to ten hours in each day. It can't all be about just like the perfect scribe, the perfect whatever. Yeah. There's got to yeah. be a little bit of jabbing going on in here. Like there's always a little yeah. bit of jabbing between trades. And, and I've always said over yeah. and over on the show that everybody's equal on the job. Like there's no one trade that's far superior than another. I don't care what one will tell me or whatever. I will always treat everybody equally. So we're all collective. Yeah. We're a team. Yeah. And so it starts with one trade and it ends with another trade. And we all have to work together to accomplish this. So um, the jabbing is totally fine. Totally fine to have the jabbing. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to get a sense from you guys. I've got an idea. What tool brand is the team working with? Is there a particular color that comes out of the woodwork? Or are they... I'm just curious... Yeah, you talk about putting the cat amongst the pigeons. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, that. That's. I mean, look, we've all we've all got our preferences, and uh, it's you know, a mixed what, bag. What, then it's got to be a mixed bag with so many people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there's certain things that just don't fly. Obviously, yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's, there's certain. I, I, I won't name any names, but there's certain colors that if you see in someone's <laughs> toolbox, you'll uh, they'll quickly be sent on their way. And and we, you know, we've <laughs> you won't we have the have, most pleasant day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we we have um literally sent trades people away within half an hour of them turning up to work based on the tools that they have because sometimes you know you just you can just tell i love that it's not, <laughs> it's not just about the brands sometimes they're too clean you know sometimes yes. they're straight out of the packet you yes. know so um speak speaking I'm, I'm a joiner to trade a carpenter to trade i was always a dewalt fanboy. you know that was that was always my thing but yeah. You know, I respect others, you know, Makita, uh, 
is was was another one I got into uh, Hilti. Um, I, I was never posh enough to get into Fez Tool, but I had a lot of respect for the Fez Tool guys. Um, but yeah, look, it's whatever works for you. You know, yes, hundred percent. You'll 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 get a bit of stick from from somebody, no matter what you turn up with. Uh, but that's part of the fun. Um, I'd, I'd love for you to share some of the business tools that you've learned, some of the techniques that you've learned to build your brand and it's only getting better, I guess, over the years, right? Like I'm sure you guys are already thinking far ahead into the future, what's going to be happening and who's going to be coming on board and contributing and who's already there and already coming up with great ideas outside of yourself. Um, what are like, what are some of the ideas that you guys are working on regarding the business side, not just the swinging the hammer side? Yeah, that's a massive question, and there's so much. I mean, you, you said it yourself. I mean, it all starts with a vision. You know, big believer in, in having a vision for the business, even if it changes. I mean, ours certainly does. Ours changes once or twice a year. You know, through experience, something will happen, and we'll we'll, we'll change tact, uh, which is fine. But you know, you you've got to have something to be your north star at the very least to get you going in a certain direction. So we're, we're, we're constantly refining our model. Um, we are, one thing that we're doing as a business is we're looking to diversify our, our, our revenue models. Um, I mean, it's not, not to get too serious about it, but it's, you've got to be pulling revenue. Uh, otherwise, you don't it's have a business. business to talk about. Yes, of course. Um, so, you know, we've just gone through COVID pandemic, hyperinflation and, and material costs more than anything else. We're looking at a diminishing labor supply uh, across the industry. There's a lot of challenges, in it, and we'd be naive to say that things will just keep on idling on as they have been. Uh, so we're looking at getting to new sectors. Um, for, the, for the first time, we're having discussions about entering into public frameworks. So we'll, we'll, you know, tendering for government contracts, local authority contracts something that we've we've never done before we've always worked in the private sector where we enjoy working with passionate clients or commercially minded clients uh, higher margins you know you can't ignore that yep. uh, but you know we're 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 a business that's we're we want to be here for the long run you know we're, we're not just a flash in the pan so we're, we're certainly looking at opening up uh, our models um, so that's that's one area. Another area that we've been working on for the past four, three to four years now is development. So we've been we've been buying land, we've been developing land for ourselves, working with different funding partners and investors, and we're now procuring land. We're developing ourselves, delivering stuff to the market. So we're ramping up that side quite fast. Um, we're, we're always going to remain principal contractors as our heart and soul of the business. Uh, that's what we do and we do very well but i think just what we've learned over the past couple of years is things can change fast you know and, and if you're not agile if you don't have options i.e you can't be too much in a niche i mean i remember when i started the business everybody was talking about you got to have a niche you got you to be the specialist at something and this that and the other and they're they're the ones that i think have suffered the most recent uh you know you need to be agile you need to be able to flex with the winds rather than, than snap off at a single gust. And and that's one thing that we're looking to build in. Other than that, we're, we're, we're pretty boring. You know, I think some of the best businesses are the most boring businesses. You're just <laughs> finding what you do well and doing more of it. You know, we're looking after the numbers. We're looking after the team. 
uh, making sure that we're selecting the right contracts, working with the, the right clients. We're being ever more and more selective with who will work for. And I don't mean that in a pretentious way. It's more just we're suited to certain clients better than others. And there's other clients that you'd be better off with XYZ contractors limited, not as, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not personal. Yep. Um, so getting more familiar with our marketplace identity uh, and, and doing more work in there. So that, I mean, that's the sort of overarching concepts, um, you know, branding, we, we need to get back into that. We've sort of let that go for the past couple of years. Um, we've been fortunate that we've not really had to try hard to win work. You know, we've, we've, we've got to a place where stuff comes our way um, irrespective, but maybe that's allowed us to be a bit uh, too relaxed on our branding and marketing front. So we're going to pick that up again and do more community outreach stuff. Uh, one thing that we're really investing a lot of time in bettering our knowledge and expertise is sustainable construction. Yep. Um, we're looking around us and, and we, we recognize that the construction sector is the biggest contributor to uh, you know carbon emissions and we want to ensure that as a business we're acting responsibly uh, and the things that we're building uh, have longevity in mind you know it's, it's shocking i was i was at um, a conference a few months ago with, with some of the national house builders and they're talking about you know you know we build a house with a 50 year lifespan or a six year lifespan i'm sitting there going man this is miserable you know particularly like growing up in scotland where you know i, I well I'm, I'm sitting in a building right now that was built in the 1600s and it's just as good today as it was exactly. then. And, you know, to talk about houses to have a 56-year-old Ours is worse. Don't, Charlie, trust me, ours is worse. You probably get lucky to 25 to 30 years if you get that before really? it starts to fall apart. It's just there, there's, um, I think you're given the keys and on the keys, you could probably engrave the expiration date on that house. That's how sad it is here, which yeah. I totally agree with yeah. you that it's like, why don't we have this mindset that we can build for centuries, not for yeah. decades, right? Um, it's, it's interesting how I, I, I give you a bunch of kudos to try to fight those sustainability battles because there's so many people on that front. And the unfortunate thing is that there's a lot of brands out there that mean well, and they're coming out with great products, but I've always said it on the show over and over. There isn't one brand on its own that can cover the entire dwelling. I don't believe that all their products are a surefire bullseye hit on taking care of every single aspect of sustainability. And I go back to just like construction, we have to work together. We have to use a mixed bag of materials, mixed bag of brands to make that dwelling work properly and be efficient, right? So, but then you go back and you fight the marketing machine of what they want to do. It's like, we've got a product for that and we got a product for that. And I'm like, yes and no. I will agree and I'll disagree, but no, it's, it, and I'm conscious of that too. So I know you guys are, I guess, doing the construction homework to try to figure out what's next. Right. And I'd love to find out if, um, have you built your own home yet? No, it's, 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 oh, I've <laughs> talked about that for years. Uh, I've, I, interestingly enough, I've looked at plots. We've required plots. Uh, as I said, we're developers and there's, there's one plot that we sort of required to, to build primary residence with, and we've ended up just putting planning into to do some apartments that we can sell on. It's, it's that classic thing, you know, the 
you know the the um what was it about the you know the, the landscapers gardeners the yeah, most weedy yeah. you know it's, yeah. it's that you know when you when you're out all day building other people's houses it's the last thing in your mind when you come home but it's definitely on the radar i think i'll probably do it more than once in my lifetime you know i i've got a bit of ocd about me i know that the second I open the door of something I've built myself. I'll always I'll already have 2000 ideas about what I'd want to improve on or do different. So, but you know what? I find that fun as well. So it's definitely on the radar, probably not for the next few years because we've just got so much to yeah. do for other people and to grow the business and to, you know, we've, we've got a really heavy pipeline that we need to deliver. And that's where my attention is right now. But I do, uh, you know, on a, on a Sunday afternoon when I'm finding a rare moment to unwind and, and have a cold beer, the mind naturally wanders yeah. off, you know, to, to yeah. such things. So it's, it's, it'll definitely be there sometime. It's, it's, it's going to always be there. And, and I'm pretty sure I, I always see people that are builders build their own home and they've always classically made the same mistakes that we tell our clients to not make. It's just <laughs> ingrained. I don't know if it's stamped on the drawings or what have you, but it's just like it's going to happen that you'll you'll make these mistakes, which is great. But I think right now, just stay in the R&D phase where build for other people, pick little pieces that you like, and then go, you know yeah. what? That's going to go towards my building when I actually yeah. do it. And that's what we do. But yeah. at some point, you're going to have to figure out, all right, let's do this. Let's just get it done. And you're right, 100%. You'll get it done, and as soon as it's done, you'll want to build another one at that point. Yeah. And you'll just move yeah. on from there. Yeah. Are you getting – I'm not surprised that you guys are going through the same hurdles that we go through here. We're very similar other than your hot being on the on the, the right side and our hots being on the left side. That's the only difference, basically. But we're all the same in, in construction. Are you hearing from clients that the numbers are getting high? What traits people are asking for are getting high? Ex construction's getting expensive. Are, are we yeah. seeing that that capitalistic kind of mindset from the pandemic has just stayed and not disappear? And then clients come around to you asking you to somehow save money when realistically it's their home, it's their property, and it's their benefit towards the end. So it's it just construction costs. So trades like the numbers are getting up there yeah 100 percent. i mean it's uh i i i don't know where it stems from you know you got to think someone's making a buck somewhere but you know, we we talk to merchants we talk to subcontractors we talk to different companies and everybody's going through the same thing homeowners i mean what was obvious before is no longer obvious like a small example it's, it's not something that we do really but you know like five years ago to do a loft conversion was a no-brainer for a homeowner you know you spend x amount of money but that that value and some it goes on to your the equity within your home so you're, you're you're making money essentially and that the housing market here at least hasn't quite caught up so house prices are, are leveling off but the cost to build is up so lots lots of clients are just being hesitant, if, if nothing else, they're maybe saying, well, I'm going to park this right now, maybe come back to it in a couple of years once I understand what's happening. Everybody's just a little bit unsure. And I'm, I mean, nobody's got a crystal ball and anybody that professes to have a crystal ball is probably full of BS. But, you know, if, if, if you look ahead and versus looking back, I mean, our industry is incredibly cyclical, right? You know, there's ups, there's downs, but, you know, there's a, there's a, the only normal thing is is, a, is is the sort of long term view or the macro view 
of a steady trajectory. So we're not trying to get too caught up in the minutiae of what's happening right now. We're listening to our clients. We're trying to work with them. We're certainly having to spend a lot more time doing value engineering discussions than we have before. Uh, we are having a lot of prices not back. So about four or five years ago, probably 80% of our bids were accepted. Uh, we, we always had a very strong success rate. Now we're at about 25%. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely taken a downturn. Um, and you've got to work with clients. I mean, we've we're one thing we're doing is we're trying to move more into a space of negotiated tender rather than um, price-based tender. So we're we're trying to sort of demonstrate our value as a contractor. It's not just about the price; it's about the service that you get, uh, the quality of work. Um, you know, the the race to the bottom stuff we don't really get involved in. And and you try and find a, a place where where it stacks, but. The end of it, there's still houses to be built. There's still a huge shortage. There's still a market-driven demand. So, you know, we, stuff still has to be done, uh, and we're looking at alternative ways of adding value. So, whether it's taking another look at an appraising a site to get the most value out of it, whether it's looking at material choices, methods of construction, you know. I don't know where you are, but modern methods of construction is a big hot topic right now. And we're investing a lot of time into exploring that, what we can do to shorten build programs, reduce preliminary costs, for example, to squeeze things in. Um, but yeah, you know, you can, you can only do so much, you know, if, if, you know, the price of bricks doubled, if the price of plywood's yeah. doubled, if, yeah. you know, there's only so much you can actually do to recoup some of that. And I think, the, in, the market is just due a bit of a correction. It's not instant. Uh, you know, there's, there's a residual hangover period whereby costs go up, but the, the, the market price isn't yet reflected for X number of months or possibly over a year. So we're, we're just sort of hanging out for, for things to find a new normal. Hopefully there's no more world disasters that chucks us into another spin. Um, but yeah, you can only do what you can do. And you know, we're just trying to focus on finding the right clients, finding a section of the market that's still a demand. Definitely the, the B2C stuff is is really almost non-existent here, you know, like wow. home improvements and extensions and that sort of stuff is is, is really, really dead, uh, I think. But we, we don't do much of that sector. We'll only do it on um, certain instances where we've got a reason to. Uh, and I, I feel for a lot of those companies, you know, those home renovation companies, those loft conversion companies, those extension companies, I think they're really suffering more than most. Um, it's interesting you say that because a lot of guys here, that's what's keeping them afloat. Those smaller projects, right? Because, uh, and I'm going back to your 80 to 25% um, connection where that 55% is not about you guys losing the contract to another contractor or another company. Yeah. It's about clients not pulling the trigger and moving yeah. forward with the job. So it's uh, that's what's happening here is where they don't want to move forward on a large scale project because the numbers start getting into high seven figures. And all of a sudden you're like, the client doesn't want to do it. So then they say, well, let's just do a little bit of here so we can expand our kitchen. We expand sure. the back. So a lot of businesses here are surviving that way while they weather the storm until things kind of level off and go back to normal where you get client 
coming back at and, and submitting drawings and, and moving forward with a, a full scale a project, right? Um, it is a little scary, but I mean, it's like, that's what construction, if anybody who's getting into it, you got to understand that it's never going to be a, a constant climb up. There's always going to be valleys down and then you've got to work your way and try to figure it out. And especially when you've got a bigger company and you've got a lot of employees, mouths to feed, you have to anticipate that and work with that and try to figure out. So it's great that you started discussing options of trying to figure out other revenue streams and looking at other options and working with other organizations. So that's, that's a hundred percent valuable in this industry. Hey guys, we're back and I'm going to show you a few more features on the connect team app. Um, let's get right into it. Now we're going to fill out a form. We got plenty of forms in construction. So over to the main page, we're going to add a new form, use a template. Safety is big. So let's do a safety form. Start this template. We're going to look at the grocery list here of things that we want our employee to know about. We're going to save that. And then we're going to select users that we're going to send this to. So we're going to send it. Manny's going to send it to Manny. And then we can publish it now. We can schedule the publish. We can notify the employees. We can do some updates. We can show on the feed. We can send a reminder. And we can even remove it from the schedule. So now we're going to send it. And now my asset's ready. It's being confirmed. I'm on the main page here on my app. I'm going to go to assets. I'm going to see that there's a new form under forms. I'm going to say yes to the hard hat. I'm going to say yes to the steel toe, tool belt, safety vest, protective glasses. I'm going to, I could always add something if I needed to. I'm going to confirm. And then I could also take a selfie and I can sign off and I can send it off to them or they may need me to sign. So... There's a signature, save, send it off, successfully sent, got it, and now back to admin at the office. And he just acknowledged that he filled out those forms, signed it, sent it, submitted, and that's it. And then you can also see who else didn't submit it and how many entries they were. So I'm communicating with my whole team without ever communicating with my whole team. That kind of gives you guys a little bit more into Connect Team app. And for more information, you can check them out at www.connectteam.com. And also check them out on IG at Connect Team app. Also remember, try out their 14-day free trial uh, for companies, 10 employees or less. Yeah, yeah, you, you've got to. Otherwise, you're not going to have a business to to talk about or have visions for or have ideas for. You know, at the end of the day, if, you've, if your revenue is not right, you your, your business is finished. You know, that's the that brutal, yeah. brutal truth. I'd love to, um, I mean, I, can you give us some insight on who's the oldest guy on the crew or that you're working with and who's the youngest guy or girl? Like, I don't know, I, how, how far does the range go? Because I know that you guys are hardworking, so it's going to be hard to kind of tell a tradesperson to stop. <laughs> like, stop, go home and just relax and go enjoy your life or something like that. No, I can keep on going. So how old are we getting there and how young are we? We, we were literally the full range. I mean, I, I won't single people out because I'll, uh, I'll, I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, we, we've got tradespeople in their 60s. Uh, we've got tradespeople, you know, well, apprentices and school leave for age 15, 16 years old. In the office, we've got interns who are late teenagers, early 20s. And we've got, you know, senior management staff who are, you know, one or two years off of retirement 
Uh, some some are already semi-retired, so we're we're really the full full breadth, and that uh, that's also, I think, a deliberate thing. You know, if if you're too young, yeah, your your sights are busting with energy, and everybody's jumping up and down with excitement, all the rest of it. But you need those old heads that have been there, done that. They've got the knowledge. They've they can nudge people in the right direction. They've they've seen sticky situations before, know how to unstick them. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, if it was if it was all just all heads, then uh, you know you'd, you'd see a lot of standing around on your job sites <laughs> without a lot of stuff getting done. So we we try and deliberately keep it well balanced. You know, it's uh, it's it's something you've got to be mindful of, and and I think that also creates quite a quite a happy work environment. You know, the banter is good, the different age groups bounce off of each other well. You know, yes. the younger guys like to have the more experienced guys to learn off of the. The uh, the older guys like to have the younger guys to do the heavy lifting. Um, it's 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 just a good synergy to have. I totally agree. Um, I'd love for you to get down the path of uh, some specific details that you guys have built that you enjoyed doing. That just came to the, to the I guess to the top where it's like that was actually challenging. We pulled it off. Are there anything that you can share? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's not a project that that isn't a love hate. You know, because every project has its you know issues and problems and all the rest of it and and if you're not careful you can um you can fixate on that and it sort of gives you a disillusion in your in your view of the project but we we've had some real fun ones you know we've done steadings conversions we've done new builds you know we've uh recently completed a real challenging one which was uh, an old single story bank building on the corner of a high street uh, that we built two stories on top of uh, as residential whilst maintaining the ground floor exterior envelope and facade uh, how were the engineering conversations on that say that again sorry how were the engineering conversations on that because that's, oh. that's always a massive headache when it starts to come about the amount of weight that's going to be put on an existing footing. Yeah. And, and I just, um, I, I'm not an engineer. I don't have a stamp. I don't have the letters, but I just like, I think that especially with you guys and either older structures here in Toronto, it can handle it. It can handle it, but I guess it just becomes a can of worms. The, the annoying thing is, is it can handle it. You know that intuitively, because these are buildings that have been around for a long time and not been anywhere. But asking a bloody engineer to write their name on an existing building, it's just never going to happen. You know, they, they, they won't sign anything off that they didn't design. So you always end up essentially building a new structure that's isolated from the existing structure, which isn't fun and has its challenges. So that, that particular one went through a few iterations. You know, originally it was going to be micropiling. Well, it's not a particularly big footprint. It was about... Six uh, about two thousand square foot in footprint, so not not a huge site. Um, and originally, from memory, the design was thirty-two micro piles, uh, and several ton of steel, you know, and all the rest of it. And this wow. thing, the existing building, was built like a tank. You know, if if uh, there was a nuclear war, I knew exactly where I was heading. But uh, it, I mean, and it was an old bank, right? So it had a vault, you know, and reinforced concrete, you know, internal partitions. The thing was nuts. Um, and you know, it ended up turning into a transfer deck. We did get away from micropiling, and we we convinced the engineers to allow us to do a mass fill concrete found, so low density concrete, um, just as, as sort of ground buoyancy. But in 
we ended up putting in, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was around about 150 cube of concrete into the ground wow. on a 2,000 foot uh, square foot footprint site. So, but the transfer of the transfer of load, did you lose a lot of area on the lower floors? Yeah, I, it wasn't too bad. Uh, okay. We we were able to do some uh, sort of space engineering exercises. So the I mentioned there that there was a there was a vault. Yeah. Uh, we actually uh, asked the engineers if if we could make that structural. So we ended up using the existing vault as a as a sort of structural tie that reduced the amount of columns, and then the rest was sort of moving. We we actually had to sort of look at the design of the upper stories and the structural points to design the upper stories, the new build that in such a way that it wouldn't impact the existing ground floor too much. So trying to line up structural walls with the existing walls on the ground floor so that we're not having to reintroduce random columns in the middle of rooms and things like that. So it was a challenge, Um, you know, definitely worth spending the time in that pre-construction phase to have these discussions. Um, I guess guess the only saving grace on a project like that is the city isn't really all that involved at that point. It's really the engineer is driving that boat at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And and that's when it's having good architects, good engineers on your team is, is, is so important. You know, there's, there's so many design teams that will just force you down the easiest option route, you know, um, and you need to sort of dig your heels in a bit and say, no, we've, we've, we've got a commitment to stewarding the success of this project and ensuring that the end user is going to have the best space that they can. It'd be what we do is permanent, right? Or at least it's supposed to be. And, you know, it's, it's easy to make poor decisions. Um, so it's, it's worth spending that bit of time at the beginning, working with the right design team. Um, you know, we've, we've got another one right now that we're in pre-construction phase, which is a listed Catholic school building right in the city centre of Edinburgh that we're doing a conversion project into 38 apartments. And it's, you know, it's like there's so many places you could just make a poor decision, you know, without without thinking about it, you know, and it, you really have to force yourself to picture the space and almost walk through it in your mind's eye and imagine how things are going to look so you're not leaving a negative impact on, on the end use just by making a poor decision. So, yeah, I, I, I find a lot of pleasure in working with older traditional buildings versus new build, I think. New builds, you know, if it's ground up, it's you're not inheriting any challenges where traditionally it forces you to have to be a bit more creative and problem solving. So, yeah, those those are my more stressful projects I, I definitely sleep less on those ones but uh the satisfaction is is, is far greater uh, i agree with you totally i've always been that mindset like new construction new engineering joist and lumber and whatever it is right it's just yeah it's kind of looks nice it's pretty it's great no but i actually enjoyed the conversation of construction trying to figure out how do we tackle this how it was done how should we tackle it and bring in a bunch of minds that contribute to that conversation and then come up with really good ideas and then achieve yeah. it. So it's great that you guys are doing that. I, I, I like that a lot. I want to get from you. Um, what are clients asking for design wise these days? 
what are kitchens looking like what are bathrooms looking like what are just the spaces in general looking like for them oh it, it changes so much like um it, i mean it, a couple of years like two three years ago it was all about like being neutral and beiges and uh, matte black ironmongery and sanitary goods was all the thing and now suddenly it's all about color and patterns and texture. Like it's honestly, like I full disclosure, I, I've got the design capability of a brick. You know, like I, <laughs> I'm not a design person. Like ask me to build something, sure, but ask me to pick a color choice, you're asking the wrong person. But it is fun to observe. Um, yeah, we're seeing like now just a lot of patterns, a lot of colors is, is suddenly came back. So. I, I don't know what's on trend and what's what's off trend. We, we, we're seeing um, open spaces being more and more popular. So open plan living kitchen and, you know, l less rooms, but bigger rooms is, is uh, something uh, a lot more attention outdoor space is, is, is another one, you know, um, even if it's in an urban environment, you know, balcony space, terrace space, patio space, is important. I don't know if that's something maybe inherited from the COVID pandemic and yep. people appreciating the, the outdoors more. So that's something that's getting a lot more uh, design attention. Um, I mean, a lot of our clients are developers and developers usually have a very narrow bandwidth for what they're looking for. And it's usually density, like how many apartments can I cram into this space or whatever it is. But um, again, you know, I, th I think that's opening up a bit more that people buying properties like homeowners are more aware themselves of what they want um so i I, th I think that developers are getting away with a lot less now um longevity of materials i think is is becoming more and more on people's radar so they want products they're not gonna have to swap out in five years time you know they're they're looking for you know aluminium window frames and you know hardwearing countertops and engineered floor versus laminate floor and you know like all, all that stuff i think is I, I think i don't know if you're seeing the same thing but i think yeah, exactly, the, the yeah. homeowners are a lot more educated now than, than maybe they once were and they're they're coming into the space already knowing the pitfalls um and, and then obviously uh last but not least by any means is is energy consumption you know like yep. how how our space is heated how efficient is that? What's the running cost? What's the, the life cycle costs? Um, that's, that's huge now. And, and you sort of said it before, you know, there's, there's no, well, I, I, we're seeing the same thing as you, that there's, there's no real one-stop shop or one product fits all solution. And there's so many experts out there, but, you know, they, they typically just are salesmen, you know, that yes just try and draw you towards a particular product um but that that's again is massive um is energy usage and and actually on the back end of that an interesting thing that we're seeing more recently we've not not seen as much as some of the other things talked about but we're we're hearing it more and more with you know our design team discussions and conferences that we go to, but is uh, the healthiness of a home. Yep. So we're slowly seeing that, you know, yeah. Yeah. We're slowly seeing off gassing that. paint choices, you know, um, is, is huge, you know, ventilation, air quality, 
that's a really interesting thing you know um it's a, it's a new it's actually quite a new thing for us so we're having to spend a lot of time getting ourselves up to speed with with what technologies are available what products are available um, and you can see it right you know like the 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 modern day consumer is across the board is a lot more health conscious so why wouldn't that transfer into the home where you spend most of your your time and you sleep you know so that, that's that's quite interesting and uh, yeah I, I do get quite geeky about these things so i selfishly enjoy having to spend nights researching things and reading up on on different products that are available on the market we we've done a couple of shows uh with Liv, linda kafka and and the shows have all been about wellness living so there's just like color temperature of lights, uh, the amount of sunlight that you actually allow into the dwelling, getting skylight yeah. sunlight coming in through the dwelling, right? Like there's just um, materials that are being used and just placements of rooms and how rooms are being worked with. And, and like you said, having spaces that open up to the outdoors and having that, and even in an urban setting, you can still build a slightly small garden of green that will help you just to be in and around that space. So it's just, I think that's what happened with the funny two years that we had, where it's like people started realizing their homes were not really safe for themselves. Mm -hmm. They needed mm -hmm. to expand from there, but it goes back to that. There's a lot of salespeople that are kind of selling this and selling that. And I think that everybody just needs to do their own homework. And I agree with you that the clients are educated almost to the point where I've said it, they're overeducated. And I think that yeah. they're they're just getting way too many messaging from too many resources when I think you should just pick your top three or four professionals and speak to them. And mm -hmm. because I guarantee you that if you're having a conversation with your family, your friends, or you're out and about or whatever the story is, your phone is eavesdropping on your conversation, then you're going to start seeing ads for certain things that are going to be contributed to what you need to get yeah. for your home, which is great. But I don't think Amazon or Siri or any of those can build a home. I'm sorry to say, yeah. I don't think they'll ever get to the point where it can build a home. I think it's still the person, the trades person, the company, yeah. and the people that are involved. They can build a home. And I would wish that clients would listen to the professionals. They yeah. do it for every aspect of their lives, but they don't do it for construction. So yeah. it's like we're not performers, we're professionals. That's just, mm -hmm. I would really wish that they would respect that angle. But uh, yeah, we're on the same page, Charlie. We're totally on the same page. Uh, we're, we're getting close to the end, but I mean, I, I want to just talk about two things that you could probably shed some light on. I know the unfortunate thing is that I feel you guys are far more in tune with safety and PPE than we are. I think we're behind. I think we should take lessons from other countries like yourselves and other people. Um, and I think that there should always be a lot more because uh, I, I've always said it over and over on the show that being a tradesperson is a perishable career. Yeah. There's an expiration on it. And if you don't work well and proper and protect yourself, you'll have these issues later on, whether they're breathing, sight, hearing, just joints, pains, all that stuff. So I, I know that you guys are very aware of all that stuff. And, and um, it's good to see that there's more awareness and people discussing it on the job site, off the job site, part of the culture, part of the business. It's part of your brand. It's part of the design and construction. It's part of everything. If you want to just shed some light on that and how you guys handle that. Yeah, look, we're, we're all human beings with families to go home to uh, and lives to live. If, if I mean, just for like, there's there's no space in health and safety that we won't invest as much as we can. Like we go 
all out and some. That's just our flat out policy. You know, I want everybody to who comes to work to go home afterwards. I want everybody that comes to work with 10 digits to go home with 10 digits. That That's it. And if, look, if that investment over the life cycle of our business just meant that one person had a longer life or, you know, one person got more years in retirement after working so long, worth it. Absolutely worth it. And we can, we can talk about so many areas of the sector, but I think there's one, one area that just matter of fact, you just don't hesitate to go all in is, is health and safety. And, and we we really do. And we try and instill a culture of that, you know, so it's 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 driven from the bottom up, um, you know, and it's it's about education, yeah. first and foremost. So I think that the best place to invest is in training for the guys on site, for the site managers, for the office staff, for the administration staff. So everybody is aware of the risks, the type of risks, the dangers, and the best way to, to mitigate those. And, and, and look, it, it's difficult, you know, uh, and it's a, an evolving sector equally as much as it's progressing has evolving risks and, uh, and evolving challenges. And I'm proud to say that in the, in, at least speaking from the UK and from what I've seen, the sector has came a long way, um, which is refreshing to see, you know, like, you know, even when I was an apprentice, you know, the things, things have changed. And, you know, you, I, I chat to the guys that have uh, been doing this a lot longer than I have. And, and the stores make your, your hair stand on end. Um, and yeah, we just flat out helps it. And a lot of it is, is mindset as well, because you can be too scared if, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So you need to, when you're training guys, a lot of it is about training them to be confident at their job. You can't be scared. You can't be timid. You need to be in control and all the rest of it. Um, so yeah, just just correct PPE, correct training, correct education. It's the other thing as well is it's not rocket science, health and safety. Like there's no excuse. Yeah, the trainings there, the supports there, the resources are there. Anybody that's not operating up to modern day standards in health and safety, they've got no excuse. Like there's 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 no person that can say well i didn't know this i didn't know that it's, it's, it's your damn job to know this stuff yeah um, and then furthermore something that we've uh been really down the rabbit hole of recently um and are still continuing to to discover new things and new challenges that we need to adopt with is mental health and construction yeah. yep uh, I, you know i was i was shocked when we started to engage in the discussions as to well to learn that in the uk at least uh the construction sector still holds them the highest suicide rate uh in the uk um it accounts for more uh occupational uh deaths than any other occupational deaths work from heights whatever it might be suicide rates is, is still the highest and we started to engage in the discussion seriously in our company four years ago, and we got some support from some local organizations and charities that specialize in this sector. And you know what? I was just amazed with the feedback that we see from our guys who we knew, like, you know, construction sector, you know, the stereotype is we're all burly men, you know, macho environment, you know, we're in control of ourselves, you know, boisterous and all the rest of it. God, the things that 
opened up, the discussions that were had, people talking about their experiences and how they felt and situations have been. I mean, it was, you know, it was shocking, yeah. you know, like, and, and so I think that's something that the sector still has a long way to come. It's less obvious, you know, it's not as simple as just putting on the correct PPE and having the right, correct RAMs, you know, risk assessments, and method assessments in place. It is a little, little bit more of a gray area. Um, one, one thing that we've found just gets you the most, uh, the, the most uh, percentage adage in terms of effectiveness and approaching the topic is just making it okay to talk about. Yeah. You know, we've, we've, we've made it less of a taboo just by talking about it more in our sector. You know, we do toolbox talks on it. We've invited uh, keynote speakers from organizations to come in and we bring all the guys into our offices and we sit them down and we have a conversation about it. You know, we, we encourage the site managers to watch out for certain signs and, and characteristics in somebody. We put our staff through um, mental health first aider training to, again, be... Uh, trained to look out for early warning signs and what action should be taken because it's it's not easy it's not it's not something at least for me that's intuitive and you know if you're sitting sitting around in the in in the in the gaff and, and at break time at your peace time nobody's talking about their emotions and feelings you know it's that's not the topic that happens but my goodness, is it overwhelming to see how much people do open up when you make it okay to talk about it, when you you know have some open discussions and people come back. So yeah, so I'm going off on a tangent, but health and safety, my no, understanding it's, of it, it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you did, Charlie, because we've actually here on the show, we've done a number of shows on mental health. We've had we've had therapists on the show. We've had uh, discussion panels. Um, it wasn't hard to get guests to come onto the show to actually open up and they actually respected it and they appreciated it. How it, it's just how you said it, it just if the conversation can begin, it gives yeah. them an opportunity to kind of contribute. And then they, they realize that they're not alone because they're not. And then it's just a matter of finding the right person to open up to. But there's a lot of that going on. And, and you're 100% right. This is construction. We're big, brawly men. And we shouldn't have these problems. And I'm sorry, but we all have these problems. Everybody, men or women, we're all like, we're all we all have these problems. So construction, it's 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 never been discussed upon. So we actually uh, we're conscious of it here at the show. And we're going to continue doing more and more shows about it. And we're going to be bringing it up. And, and the panel shows have been doing really well where we invite them in a in a in a nice environment where we bring up real issues. We do talk about suicide. We talk about anxiety and depression. And we talk about what's really going on professionally and personally, what's happening in their homes and what's happening on the job site. And um, and I think that there's a lot of lending ears out there. I think a lot of people are more than willing to help out. And um, the, I mean, the one great thing that I would say about this one show is that you're getting complete strangers speak to each other over text or over DMs. They've never met each other, but they're speaking to each other openly about what's really going on in their lives. And they're just digitally communicating, which is amazing. And then eventually they plan on getting a coffee together or get a pint together or whatever it is. But they'll sit down and it's it's no longer a handshake at that point. It's literally a hug. And it's not it's not a negative thing. It's not. It's a positive thing. And it's helping out because you're 100% right on the suicide rate. It's really yeah. devastating to hear that. When I first discovered it years ago, I was devastated by that because I never saw it on my job sites, but I knew of it. And then mm -hmm. I, I start this show and I'm like, you know what? 
I've created a platform. Let's talk about it. We can talk about Swing and Hammer. We can make fun about all the brands and tool brands and all the stuff like that. And we can have our jabs at each other, but we're still human beings and we need to communicate. We need to just, yeah. like you said, is you want to go home, but you also want to go home mentally as well. Yeah. Like you really got to yeah. prepare yourself. So it wasn't a negative tangent to go off to Charlie. It was actually a perfect <laughs> tangent. I, I really appreciate that you'd said that and brought that up. Uh, I want to do the 10 questions with you for construction. And then I just want to let everybody know we're talking to Charlie here. Oh, sorry. What's your last name again? Fitzgibbon. Fitzgibbon uh, yeah. from Edinburgh Construction. You can find them on www.edinburghconstruction.com, all over social media, on IG, under uh, at Edinburgh Construction, and Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and House. And then the email is hello at Edinburgh edinburghconstruction.com and the phone number again is 0131202008 let's do the 10 questions you ready yeah sorry I've not read them in advance but I'm ready for it nonetheless there's no right or wrong Charlie there's no right or wrong (laughs) it's just pure fun there's some thought provoking ones I guess but uh, what everyday sound brings you joy what everyday sound sound uh, two answers to that, just as a business owner. If I'm on site, it's the sound of a nail gun going off. off. If I'm in the office, it's the sound of the phone ringing because I know that uh, business is being done and money's being made. So that's my favorite sound. Now, if you can get a ringtone, that is the nail gun. Ooh. Oof. Somebody make now it. <laughs> Somebody make it. What's your favorite beverage? Uh, Irish family, pint of Guinness. Oh, yeah. Nice. I'm having one later on now that you brought it up. What's your least favorite tool? Least favorite tool? Oh, such a good... You know what? Uh, just because it's a personality thing, a paintbrush for me, you need to be a certain person to be a painter and decorator, and that ain't me. So for me, it's a, a paintbrush. What turns you on creatively? Uh, chatting to people, discussions like this, hearing different people's ideas and their stories, I think it's no better source of inspiration. Nice. What word or concept do you find overused these days? Uh, despite we're just talking about it, sustainability is so easy to greenwash now and it, too, too many people, too many salespeople are chucking it around. And it's, yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, that term greenwashing. I love it. Uh, you want to pick a fight, bring it up. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? Oh, uh, again, I- Irish fam- family, so feck off. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite vehicle in the entire world? It could be any mode of transportation. A vehicle, oh, I, I used to compete motocross, so two wheels is, is my thing. So, yeah, KTM, shout KTMs, out. KTMs, yeah, I was Dark about to say. 450cc. Awesome. How are the, how are the knees? Team. How are the knees? The knees are still okay? Oh, no, they went a long time ago. That's why I don't do it anymore. I like all my bones in one piece. So. That's my first question, man, for anybody. I never got into motocross because I I would see the knees, and I'm like, mm, yeah. no, yeah, no, not I'm not going to do yeah, that. What do you miss from your childhood? Do I miss from my childhood? Maybe not so much from, from my childhood, but certainly when I was younger, being on the tools more. You know, it's, it's rare that I get to pick up a tool these days. And I, I do genuinely, genuinely miss that. So not maybe not my childhood, but certainly as a Your youth. teenager and yeah. young, young person on the tools, I miss that. Yeah. If you could master a skill outside of your own expertise, what would it be? You know, I was, I was talking about this to someone earlier this morning because I'm terrible at it. Multitasking. Honestly, if, if I could multitask, just you could get more stuff done in the day, you know, uh, I'm, but I'm awful at it. So. I don't know if that's a good, good thing. Like, 
maybe get less stuff done in the day. We'll see. Mate, well, you know what? That's the answer that the person I was talking about gave. So you okay. could be right. Okay. And the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? God, uh, come on in, I guess would be the <laughs> obvious one. I'd be surprised, but uh, that would be a, a nice turnout for the for the books. Awesome. Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show. Absolute pleasure talking with you and, and talking shop and talking the business and all the best to you guys. And I hope to one day be there and swing by and stop by and say hello sure. to everybody and, and check out the work. I mean, I totally, I, I'd, I'd love to pull that off one day, but I thoroughly enjoy having these conversations and talking shop. So thank you for your time. No, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Some great topics. And yeah, I think it's wonderful what you're doing, sharing, sharing the, the knowledge and the topics amongst us. It's, uh, there's not enough of it. And yeah, if you're ever in Scotland, give us a shout. We'll, oh, we'll I will, for sure. Together. And I want to thank Patrick for setting this up, which is totally cool. So I'll, I'll drop him a line and we'll talk after that. Um, sure. But that's it. So don't go anywhere just yet. Angelina, we're out of here.